in the titles of Jesus in this time of Christmas. They're found in the ninth chapter of the book of Isaiah. And it says, for unto us, I'm sorry, for those that have your Bibles, chapter 9, verse 6. Chapter 9 of Isaiah, and verse 6. Praise the Lord. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. These will be his royal titles, Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His expanding, peaceful government will never end. He will rule with perfect fairness and justice from the throne of his father David. He will bring true justice and peace to all the nations of the world. This is going to happen because the Lord of heaven's armies has dedicated himself to do it. Hallelujah. The title I'd like to share with you is the title of Prince of Peace. Jesus is a Prince of Peace. Those were one of the titles. I've been studying the book of Isaiah, and it's interesting because in this book, the prophets are geared, their minds are geared, their thoughts are geared toward all the trouble that Israel and Judah are having. It used to be just the land of Israel and the people of Israel. But after Solomon's reign, they were divided. The southern part was called Judah, and the northern part was called Israel. And their governments were forever in trouble. There was no peace. They couldn't even have peace among themselves. They battled, they warred. And whenever they forgot God, God just let him do it on your own. And you know what happens when God lets you do something on your own? You can't do it. We think we can. We think we can, but you can't. There isn't much we can do on our own. And you say, well, that doesn't sound very positive. You're not very up. No, I'm not positive, and I'm not up when it comes to human nature. I'm just not up. The only time human nature is ever able to do anything good is when God is in his life. Hallelujah. That's the only time. When God's in our life, we're able to do something. But when he's not, we strive to do it. Uh, th that was one of the, the tremendous problems of my head. When I was first saved, I, I, when I was first saved, I used to say to myself, but there's so many nice people out there. I think they're saved. There's so many good people out there. I think they're saved. There's so many giving people out there. I think they're saved. In other words, I had my own plan of salvation. If I liked you, you got saved. If I didn't like you, you didn't get saved. If I thought you were worthy to get saved, you got saved. If I didn't think you were worthy, you didn't get saved. So as a new convert, I couldn't understand where God drew the line. Where does he draw the line? I don't know. But you know, as you get into the word of God, you realize whatever God does with man, 
whatever God chooses to do with man, it will always depend on the will of man. God wants to love you. Will you let him love you? God wants to bless you. Will you let him bless you? God wants to do so many things for you. Will you let him do it? And you say, well, if God wants to save me, let him save me. No, 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 that's not the way it works. God wants to save you. Now you've got to stand and say, Lord, save me. And the minute you say that, he does it. Why? Because that's the way he works. He doesn't work contrary to your will. He works in conjunction with your will. And this is why Israel suffered so much. They wanted God to win a battle. They wanted God to make them conquerors over their enemies. They wanted God to give plans through the prophets of how they would win a war. But they didn't want to submit to him. They wanted to dress up in their gala clothes and go outside and be like all the nations around them and forget God. It doesn't work that way. Let me talk about this. We're living in days that are so horrible. You know, when I saw the Berlin Wall go down, I cried because I was at that wall. When I saw East Germany and West Germany made once again Germany, I was happy. I traveled through buses that had mirrors underneath to make sure there weren't people escaping from one side to the other. When Russia ceased to be the mighty Russia, and when I saw Yeltsin get on a tank and defy the whole world, oh, I cried. I'm a very, I'm a very emotional person. When I see television, I don't just see it, I live it. I'm not watching from here, I'm almost watching from in there. And, it, uh, and that's why when, when they call me in my house and I am watching my news, I don't hear voices because I intend to hear what I'm hearing. I'm an intense person. I tell you this to simply tell you God's plan. God's plan is a plan of peace. What do we have today? The wall has gone down. Russia is no longer a threat to us. And we've lived through so many threats. Can you think of them? A million of them. But there is no peace in the world. Let me tell you how this all started and where it started. We talk about, and I'm so proud of him, don't think I'm not. But I see President Carter traveling to Korea. I see President Carter now in Bosnia. I see President Carter in so many places trying, and I thank God because I happen to know he's a man of God. I happen to know that he's filled with the Spirit of God. I happen to know that he loves the Lord with all of his heart. And I happen to know that uh, maybe one of the most brilliant uh, people that we ever had in presidency, but you say, oh, so he didn't even last a term. No, he didn't, because I've got something to tell you. Good people don't last too long. And I'll go on to tell you why, okay? I'm not into politics, but I sure am learning a lot of lessons from it. When you talk about peace talks, don't talk about the League of Nations. Don't talk about the United Nations. When you talk about peace, you've got to talk about where God initiates peace. Let me tell you where he did. God initiated peace talks right back, way back in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden. Can you imagine? That's where he initiated his peace talks. Why? Because that's where peace was lost. 
That's where peace was stolen. That's where peace was, uh, was taken away. It was that moment when Satan, oh, and listen to that word carefully, and you're probably sitting here laughing at me. Some people think when we say Satan that he's one of the seven dwarfs, a caricature from Disneyland or a caricature from the religious landia. No, he's a real person. And if you don't know he's a real person, Jesus said to his disciples, when you cast out demons, don't be so happy. Be happy that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life because I saw Satan when he was thrown out of heaven. Now that's important to know. Now God initiates his peace talks right in the Garden of Eden. Yes, now the, let, me, let me put it this way. And in the town of Bethlehem, he, it became reality. Okay, they were initiated in the Garden of Eden, but in Bethlehem, it becomes a reality. I want to talk to you about this. God was present when peace was lost. Yes, he was right there. And he knew how we lost our peace. Through the insinuations of the enemy, once again, Satan doing his work. God had told the couple that they could have everything, absolutely everything. The entire garden, everything that surrounded it, their world, their perfect world was theirs and theirs alone. For their offspring, for everybody that was with them, it came from them. And then one day, God said to them also, from that one particular tree, don't eat. And Satan came and said to the woman, through the snake, yes, the devil uses animals, in case you didn't know it, I'm letting you know right now. And in case you want to know how that continues on, I'll let you know that too. God was present when peace was lost. He knew the enemy was Satan. And then he, after the, after the departure of peace, and, and it, was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a strange departure. It was an experience that the couple had never had before. When they gave in to the wiles of the enemy, they found themselves in a state that they had never noticed. They were naked. Not only naked, they were embarrassed. Not only were they embarrassed, but they hid. And in the evening time when God accustomed to walk with them and talk with them, where the Spirit of God would flow through that garden and speak to that precious couple, came the evening and they weren't there. They weren't there. They were hiding because they'd noticed they were naked and they went and they made some fig leaf dresses. The first garment situation, right? First couture or whatever you want to call it. They fixed themselves up and were ready to walk down the aisle. And God asked, where are you? He knew where they were. But always remember, no matter what God knows, he'll always ask you. You know, this is the way God works. Whatever he knows, he'll still ask you. You say, well, if God knows, why do I have to talk? Well, you have to talk because God wants to hear it from you. It's one of his, it's one of his precedents. It's one of his precedents. That's why nobody can ask for your salvation. We can pray. We can ask God. We can intercede. But when it comes to saving, we can't say, okay, Lord, today is so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. No, no, no. So-and-so has to say, I'm here, Lord, save me. 
I'm here, Lord, save me. I'm here, Lord, save me. Because that's the way it works. It doesn't work any other way. Now, at that moment, God knew the enemy. And he knew the power of the enemy. Because not only did he know he was thrown out of the heavens, but God also knew he took a third of his angels with him that are today called the demon population that is ruled by Satan. Hey, Pastor Amy, heavy for Christmas. Satan, demons, what else are you going to put in the pie this morning? No, but this is it. This is the story of how we lost our peace. This is the story of how it, 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 it got away from us. This is the way it happened. And Satan comes and says to, says to uh, Eve, in such an easy way, God says, you can't eat. And Satan says, well, listen, if you do, you'll be as smart as God. You'll know everything he knows. Isn't it amazing? Scripture says that pride comes before the fall, and it does. And there's always somebody trying to be smarter than somebody else. And here is the opportunity to be as smart as the smartest. Who's not going to run with it? And Eve did. And then she gave her husband to taste, and he tasted. Sin then stole the peace. They're in the back there making these little coats. God says, where are you? And Adam answers, I heard your voice and I was scared. Why were you scared? You've never been scared before. Why are you scared? And, and it's so interesting because they, uh, <laughs> Adam did what we know how to do very well. Blame the one next to you. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever had the opportunity? Not me, him. Not me, her. And he says, the woman you gave me. And then the woman says, not me, the snake. And down it went. My father used to teach me, la culpa es huérfana, ten cuidado. Yes, guilt, culpability. It, it, it's an orphan. Nobody wants to say, I'm guilty. Nobody says it. But that's the way it was lost. But I have something to tell you right now, and this is the most beautiful message in the whole wide world. Right there and at that very moment, God spoke to Satan. And you know what he told him? And I'm going to read it to you because it's so clear from the word of God. In the third chapter, in the third chapter of the book of Genesis, listen to this conversation. And the Lord asked the woman, how could you do such a thing? And, the ser and she says, the serpent tricked me. So the Lord said to the serpent, this is your punishment. You're singled out from among all the domestic wild animals and, uh, of the whole earth to be cursed. You shall grovel on the dust as long as you live, crawling, crawling along on your belly. From now on, you and the woman will be enemies. Oh, my. You and the woman will be enemies and will, and as will all of your offspring and hers. And I will put the fear of you into the woman, and between your offspring and hers, you shall strike, he shall strike you on your head, while you will strike at his heel. And that's the way it was. And to the woman, you shall bear children in intense pain, 
and suffering. And that has not changed. And here comes the promise. And God said, and it's, it's so clear, he will strike you on your head. I put it here this way. God knew and God gave the promise. And he said, he will hurt you. Satan would hurt the seed of the woman. He will hurt you. Did not Jesus get hurt? His back was open. His crown was pierced. His hands were pierced. His feet were pierced. They threw a spear into his side. And he died. He was hurt. He was hurt unto death. But listen to what God says to Satan. And with that hurt, and with that hurt, she, the seed of the woman, will crush your head. Now what is that? It's the promise that Satan would be defeated. It's the promise that the enemy that made man lose his peace would be defeated. It's the promise that the forces that work against us would be defeated. It's the promise that man does not have to live in the trap of evil, does not have to walk in the experience of Satan, does not have to surrender to the spirit of a world that's totally contaminated with hate and ugliness. He would crush his head and Jesus with his death crush Satan's head. We are free from Satan in Jesus' name. The world doesn't see it that way. They just see that we're a little bit culturally retarded. They look at it as a lack of more knowledge. The world seems to think that if we get more books in our head, and if we get more self-expression in our being, and if we can stand tall and say we're winners even though we're not, that will help us. Listen folks, listen to me carefully. There is no self-expression that's worth anything, lest it comes with God's favor and God's love. Because it's only God's favor and it's only God's love that transforms our entire life. That's how you become, you, tell, you talk about self-esteem. Oh, Sister Amy, you people out of the churches, look, look, look at the years. Uh, the years that the ladies look so ugly. Yeah, we had a couple of years like that. Yeah, we didn't have any help from Cody Powder or, or from Westmore or from any of the big ones today. You know, no, we did not have. And, and we thought we were pleasing God. Well, that's, 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 part of that, that's part of living what we lived through. But you know something? What I got then, I have not lost now. What God gave me then is so real to me now. So I'm not knocking it. I'm saying that there's a lot to be learned. I'm saying that there's so many things that we've got to get into and there's so many things uh, that are not wrong. But that the only thing that makes us right is when we're right with God. Praise his holy name. Oh, I love that. When we're right with God. So he has crushed the enemy. Now God gave us a promise of the way this would happen. That's why I said to you, the peace talks initiated in the garden. But they were, and they became reality in Bethlehem. Your, your cover says, 
but you Bethlehem, from you shall come forth one who will rule. From you, you tiny little town. Matter of fact, uh, Herod was such an animal, there's no other word for him. And when he wanted to know where the king of the Jews would be born, he sent for the astro astrologers, he sent for the, the, the wise men, he sent for the uh, scribes and those that knew the law. And he said to them, where is this king going to be born? Come on, quick, tell me. And they brought their books, the testaments. And it says, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Oh, all right. And Herod looks at the three kings and he says, go ahead, you find him. And when you find him, send me word so that I can go and worship him too. And you know what happened. The wise men did find him. And then were told by God to go home another way and not to go back to Herod. And the babe child was saved. But listen to this, won't you please? How did the scripture work this one out? First of all, in, in the beautiful book of Isaiah, we're told the virgin would give birth. And I thank God for that. That virgin Mary. You know, today it's so glorified. After 2,000 years, uh, in some churches she's on pedestal, she's painted in gold. Uh, she looks absolutely divine. But Mary was a country girl from the hills. And she was frightened at the presence of an angel. And then the angel told her what God intended with her life. And that she had been chosen and that she was blessed. And she yielded to God's plan. And she yielded to the blessedness of God. And at the same time, the angel let her know, you've got a cousin up in the hills. And she was called the barren one. And now she is about to give birth. She's six months into her pregnancy. That'll serve as a confirmation to know what God is doing in your life. Mary takes off to see this cousin. And you know what happened when she met the cousin. The cousin's baby in her womb jumped. And that baby was John the Baptist. And he was filled with the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb. And this woman comes out with a prophetic utterance for Mary. How does the mother of my Lord, oh. And Mary is just standing there, oh my God, this is all real. Because you know how faith operates. Faith in human being operates on an open shut case. But it opens and shuts a lot of times. It opens, you believe. It shuts, you're not too sure. It opens, you believe. It shuts, you're not too sure. Say, wait a minute, Sister Amy. Faith is the confidence. Faith is the assurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it comes to its fullness. But in the meantime, you know how we diddle-daddle with faith. Now Mary is up there. But you know something? There's something growing in her womb. So it's, it's become reality. But you know what happens to it when she gets back to her town, don't you? There's nobody waiting for Messiah. There's nobody waiting for a virgin that's going to give birth. The old ladies of the town look at her and say, <clears throat> she looks like she's filled with child. <clears throat> Listen, unwed pregnancies have been the same down through the ages. Don't think we're celebrating something new. 
And the old ladies go to Joseph's mother's house. I love people that gossip. They manage to get to the right places. Isn't it amazing? And it's so easy. The scripture says that it's like a morsel, like a sweet morsel. It only turns into sand when it goes down the throat and goes into the belly. But it's so sweet. And they go and they tell Joseph's mother, <clears throat> your son's girlfriend, mm, mm, no good. We can tell by her eyes. Have you ever seen old ladies that tell you you're going to have a boy because your belly's going this way? Or you're going to have a girl because your belly's going this way? Have you met them? Oh, they stop you in the street and they tell you what you're going to have. You're carrying low, you're carrying high, you go, whoa! Happens all the time and everywhere in the whole wide world. And they looked at this little girl and says, mm-mm. And the mother comes and says, Joe, I've got news for you. She's not. She's not as pure as you think she is. Joe, you've got problems. And Joseph is so full of the Lord. And he knows what the law says. If your wife is, in other words, that which is to be your wife, and you have seen her. In other words, if she has been with a man, well, you can't accept her. And if she's with child, that's the proof. Accept her less. Rebuke her. Send her away. A town can stone her. And the scripture says because he was just, he was thinking of how he could put her away. How could he do it without hurting her? How could he do it without everybody knowing? How could he do it without a scandal? How could he? And when he puts his head to rest, God sends him in his dreams an angel. And the angel said, don't be afraid. Oh, Joseph, don't be afraid. What's in her is of the Holy Ghost, is of God above. And he was just, the scripture says, he was close to God. Believe the angel. And along comes the edict. And he picks up his girlfriend, a little dumb donkey. And off they go. And they traveled long and hard. And by the time she got to Bethlehem, it was time to give birth. Oh, folks, the story you know, there's no room in the inn. There are so many chunks of the birth of Jesus that brings messages to the heart of men. But I want to basically talk about peace today. His word is given, and it's so beautiful. A virgin shall give birth. It'll be in the town of Bethlehem. But do you know that whenever God does something big, the earth just is racked with pain and ugliness. You know, sometimes I say like the sinner says, Oh God, if you're there, stop these wars. And I have to say, Lord, have mercy upon me. Because he is there. But he didn't start the wars. The wars belong to our hearts. The wars belong to your heart and my heart. The wars belong to hell in our being. The wars belong to our selfishness, to our ugliness. The wars belong to minds given over to Satan. That's who wars belong to. This is going to be a prince of peace. Yet when the, the wise men leave, Herod is furious because he can't get a hold of the babe. I've got to get the babe. Couldn't get a hold of him.
So he decides, anyone under two years of age, kill all the men, all the boys born. Oh my God, help us. You see, folks, it seems children have always been victims of tremendous sense of killing. We talk about abortion and how we don't believe in abortion and how there are so many means to not have a child if you don't want one. But down through the ages, children have been victims and they continue to be. They claim that maybe over 2,000 children were touched in this, the birth of Jesus Christ. Isn't that horrible? It's called the whale of Rachel. And when they take you on a tour through the Holy Lands, you'll stop at that little chapel, and it's a tiny chapel. And it's just a little square inside the chapel with black curtains. And women go there to cry as Rachel cried. Rachel saw it prophetically because it is a prophetic utterance. It came to pass in Jesus' day. The wail of Rachel and the death of children. We live in a world in search of peace. I want to be part of the peacemakers. I want to be part of those that do something about peace. Our generation, especially the seniors that are above my age, in other words, way past the 60s, they've seen World War I, they've seen World War II. We've seen World War II, some of us now. We've seen the Korean War. We've seen the Vietnamese War. Like we continue to see wars. And now Europe opens up as a blazing battleground once again. All through Yugoslavia, Bosnia, and all the names that I can't even pronounce. We've started again. Wars and rumors of wars. Everywhere we can look. Yet Jesus comes this morning to tell us that he's the Prince of Peace.